want to welcome you to church today. If you're joining us online or if you're at one of our campuses in Mesa or Fountain Hills or South Mountain, it's great to be together, especially this time of the year. We have so much to celebrate, don't we? We're in this Advent season, and so we've been talking each week about a different focus, an aspect of this Christmas celebration. We've talked about hope and peace, and today we're going to focus on joy. Do we have any joyful people in the house of the Lord today? Yeah. Next week, we're going to talk about love uh, this upcoming weekend, Christmas Eve, and it's going to be good. But man, I love Christmas and the emphasis on joy. I want to get your gift-giving Christmas gears turning and your juices flowing. Uh, This last week, we went and visited some friends in Philadelphia, uh, our friend Joey and Lauren Ferjanic, and did some ministry at their church and hung out with them. And Amy, my wife, brought Christmas presents for Maverick, who's six, and Jovi, who's two, because of course she did. That's what she does. She's a gift giver. Here's a little video I I took of Jovi opening her present. She's saying, oh my, Elsa. I don't know about you, but that makes me happy. It makes me happy to see those little guys so happy. And I think that's what we do as parents when we give our kids gifts. It's not so much based on what they need, although sometimes you give them something that they need. It's not, definitely not based on what they deserve, <laughs> right? But really, we give our kids gifts because it makes us as parents happy to see them happy, and I think it's very similar for the Lord. He gives us good gifts, and it brings him joy to see us experience the joy of the Lord as well. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2 first, and this is a passage that probably you've heard before, but I want to hopefully emphasize some things that will encourage you today. It says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. That's what I want to emphasize first, good news that will bring great joy to all people. Here it is, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Okay, so let me kind of focus on some of this first. The gospel is good news. That is literally what it means. It means good news. We Christians, we are not bad news people. We're good news people. So our lives and our language should reflect that. We've all met a Debbie Downer. Maybe you're sitting next to one. Just perma frown on their face. Everything's a bummer. Everything's a problem. The glass is half empty. But you know what's worse than a Debbie Downer is a crabby Christian. We're supposed to know Jesus and be saved and have eternal life, and yet there are Christians who act like they only ever got the bad news. And and this is maybe a word to especially encourage the moms, because we all know that the moms are the ones that make Christmas happen. I put up the tree, Amy decorates the tree. Without wives, without moms, you know, these celebrations just went. So there are moms, you're, you're, you're getting a lot ready. Wives are doing a lot to get ready for Christmas right now. The ladies, thank you for all that you do to make these holidays special. I mean, we could not do it without you. If it was me by myself, me and Lila would just be having a happy meal on Christmas Day. I wouldn't even wrap the present. I would just have it in the Walmart bag and push it across the table. You know what I'm saying? So you you ladies, as you're running around this week, getting ready for Christmas, and you're you're probably trying to do some last-minute shopping, you're meal planning, you're organizing with family, it's natural to feel some stress around this time of the year. But let me encourage you, don't let that stress turn sour. Don't let yourself develop a bad attitude or get into a bad mood. You know, it would be kind of sad and inappropriate if, you know, we as Christians went out into the world this week and, 
you know, try to finish up our shopping angry, honking at people, flipping people off in the parking lot. Get out of my way. I'm in a hurry to celebrate the birth of Christ. That would not be a, we should be good news people, amen? Because even though there are challenges in society and there are things to be afraid of potentially and there's things you're concerned about, we know the good news that Jesus came and he died for our sins and he rose again and we have eternal life so we can live to the fullness, the full life that God has for us. That's, that's good. That should give us a lot of joy. That's my next point. The good news brings great joy. The good news brings great joy. The message of the gospel should fill our hearts with joy. What is the difference? Here's a common question that gets asked amongst Christians. Nobody else asks this question, but Christians do because we like to overthink things. We like to over-spiritualize things. Can I get an amen? Where are my overthinkers at? What's the difference between happiness and joy? Hmm. What a deep question that is. Nothing. The difference is nothing. And I've heard, I've heard pastors say this, and I've, I've even probably repeated this at times. Like, it's embarrassing some of the things you say when you're a young pastor. Y'all get, y'all get in like a way better version of me than the church got like 10 years ago, you know what I'm saying? But I've heard pastors say, joy is a state of being. Happiness is just a feeling. That's the kind of thing you hear that and you're like, okay. I don't get it. I don't, I don't, I mean, should I get it? Is that just over my head? It's the kind of thing Christians say sometimes, we over-spiritualize things, and you know, happiness is just a feeling, joy is a state of being. What does that even mean? The truth is that biblically and grammatically, they're the same thing. Yeah. Happiness and joy are the same thing. Let me show you, here's some de- definitions uh, to be happy. is It's a feeling or, or showing pleasure or contentment, joy, definition. It's a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And then if I get into the Bible, in the New Testament in Greek, the word that's translated joy, kara, means cheerfulness, calm, delight, gladness. Yo, these all sound like the same thing. So when we talk about the gospel bringing you joy, the gospel should make you happy. It should make you glad. It should bring you delight. Why is it so confusing? Well, here's here's why. Because we deal with a lot of stuff that's sad. We deal with things that are hard. We deal with disappointments and frustrations. So the big question is how can you have joy when you're dealing with a bunch of frustration and loss and disappointment and pain at the same time? Here's the key. I'm going to give you the key to joy and this could change your life. This is the key to mental health. If you want to look at it that way, it's the key to spiritual and emotional peace and joy. Here it is, proper perspective. Proper perspective is the key to joy. Now, I want you to help me illustrate this. If you're willing, you don't have to. It's a free country. But (laughs) if you're willing to participate, close your left eye, okay? Take your right hand and point at me. Okay, so right now you're pointing at me, your focus is on me, and yet you can still see your finger right now, right? It's there, it's in your vision, but you can also see me, you can see the stage, you can see all around me. Now imagine that your finger represents your problems. Pain, sickness, loss, death, frustration, disappointment, and just kind of start to bring it closer to your eyeball, your right eyeball. Don't touch your eyeball, I don't recommend that. Right now, as it's really close, it starts to dominate your vision, doesn't it? Right? In fact, it will will cause you to really struggle to see much else because it's right up in your eyeball. And I I can kind of see around it, but I can't see as well as I want to. And sometimes you have problems in life and it just pops up. Like really, you get a diagnosis or you get a phone call and someone you love dies or you're planning to have a baby and the next thing you know, you're having a miscarriage. And that problem's just like all up in your vision and it's all you can see and that's natural and you can't always even help that. So what, what you can do and what you can help is you can zoom out, right? Now point that finger back at me if you're still participating, congratulations. 
Now your focus is back on me. And let's just say for the sake of this illustration, I'm up here with, with hold this Bible and just like this, say that I represent in this moment the good news. You're pointing at me. Now notice this. You can see me a lot better now that you've zoomed out, right? Okay, your finger is still there in your vision. You still see it. We're not pretending that it disappeared, that it doesn't exist. It's just that when you zoom out and you get that proper perspective, you can see a whole lot more than just your problem, okay? You can stop now. Thank you for participating. <laughs> Wasn't that great? Wasn't that great when we all just like do it together? Big old family. Most often we don't feel joy because we don't understand the severity of the bad news. And we don't appreciate the magnitude of the good news. And so we get over-focused on our problems and disappointments and frustrations. And what we need is to change our perspective. Like, you know, if you got rescued from a burning house, you know, firefighters pulled you out, uh, put the blanket around you, gave you the oxygen mask, you would be grateful, right? You wouldn't be crying about losing your mixtape collection that was in storage. I put a lot of time into those playlists. And like, no, you'd be like, I'm so glad I didn't burn to death. Or let's say you woke up tomorrow and you found out you won a big prize, like the lottery, or, or got a big inheritance. You're like, I don't play the lottery. I'm a good Christian. I'm not, I'm not talking about that right now. But let's just say, let's say you just won a billion dollars. And on your way to pick up your prize, you were so excited that your foot got a little heavy and you started driving fast. Some of you drive fast every day, you know? Some of you speed on the way to church this morning, like me. You're just too excited to get here. Let's say you got pulled over. You got a $300 speeding ticket. Normally, that would really frustrate you, right? Like, think what I could have bought with that $300. Now I have to pay it in a fine. But if you had just won the lottery, You'd be like, I got all day to pay speeding tickets. I'll pay all the speeding tickets for everyone up in here, right? Because what's $300 compared to $300 million after taxes? <laughs> you wouldn't be that bummed about the fine because you'd be thinking about the great prize that you've just received. The awareness of the size of the prize reduces your sadness over the loss, it's still a real loss, it just doesn't compare to what you've gained. Do you see where I'm going with this? When we get overwhelmed by the sadness of loss and disappointment, it's because we have failed to appreciate the magnitude of what we have gained in Jesus. Proper perspective is the key to joy, right? So you lose your job, that is scary, it is, it is overwhelming and shocking. You, you, you have a business that fails. That is a disappointment. You have a relationship that falls apart. It is sad. You get a diagnosis that can't be treated. That, that's shocking, right, to your system. You lose a loved one. It's hard. But when you see those losses in light of eternity, you get the proper perspective, you can actually be sad about a loss, but have joy and happiness dominating your feelings and your spirit at the same time because you know, man, even a great loss, like, man, I think about people in our church who've had children this month who've died. What, what greater loss really could someone experience than something like that? And it is huge, it is devastating, and it is sad. And as sad as that is, I'm not taken away from that. When you zoom out and you see that loss in perspective, in light of eternity, you go, man, these days and years and even decades that we spend separated, the time I spend missing that loved one is a drop in the bucket compared to 10,000 years, 100,000 years, a million years together in heaven, a million years from now in heaven with the loved ones you've lost, you're, you're, gonna, even, you're gonna struggle to remember the time you spent apart. You'd be like, oh yeah, you remember some of that? You remember like that one, we went through those hard things so long ago, I can't even really remember it. It was so long ago. We've just been here in, in heaven enjoying each other and God's glory and blessing for so long, I forget what it was like to struggle. And you start to see your problems that way, and it's like, oh, 
I'm starting to feel a joy welling up in me that isn't shaken by temporary problems, by, by problems that will fade away before we know it. I'm reminded of this passage in 2 Corinthians 4. It says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. You see that? You can't force yourself to feel joy, but you can force yourself to zoom out. And joy will come as you see your life in light of eternity. Your God is so good. Your rescue was so great. His blessing is so big in your life that you can actually have joy all the time. Even when hardship pops up and a sad situation comes up, right? Those problems are small and temporary compared to the glory before us, compared to the blessing of heaven that lasts for eternity. And joy flows from proper perspective. This is good news that brings great joy to all people. And I want to emphasize that. That was part of our our first passage there. This is Great joy that comes from this good news, and it's available for all people. The good news is for all people. Jesus commands us to preach the gospel to all people. Think about how radical that is. In most other cultures and religions throughout history, it was very exclusive. This is for us and nobody else. We are God's chosen people. You all are, are pagans and infidels and sinners, and you're going to die. And, and like, it, was, it was very much like that, but Jesus came and said, go and preach the good news to all people, to all creation. And, and that's true all over the planet, regardless of ethnicity, language spoken, skin color, education level, wealth, Sex, doesn't matter. The good news is to be preached for all people and it can bring joy to all people because all are invited to come and believe. Isn't it amazing what God does? God takes people who are enemies culturally and makes them family spiritually. Try to wrap your mind around this. In light of eternity, we actually have more in common with a Chinese Christian than with an American pagan. The people who believe in Christ, even those who live on the other side of the world, who speak a different language, who have a totally different culture, 100,000 years from now, those differences will fade away. The people that live in our own neighborhood who don't know Jesus, who go to the same baseball games we do and celebrate the same holidays we do and tell the same jokes we tell, like 100,000 years from now, we'll have nothing in common with them. It's all about whether or not you know Jesus. In Jesus, we become one body. One body. This is the analogy the Bible uses for the church, a body. I don't know if you played with Mr. Potato Head growing up like I did. You can plug an arm in, pull an eyeball off. Like That's not how a real body works, it does it? it a, a real body, a human body, is not easily dismembered. It's a big deal to pull things off or to lose a leg, it's painful because it's meant to be permanent. In the body of Christ, think about how much we are really one in Christ and we are not meant to be divided, we are not meant to fight amongst ourselves by the Lord because who would fight against his own body? Stupid arm, stupid, bad arm. It would hurt me to hurt myself, to hurt part of my own body, right? So we've got to recognize the worldly demonic counterfeit to biblical unity. Of course, the way the devil presents it, it sounds good. Of course it does, because he's a good salesman. He's not going to try to tempt you with a dirty diaper. He's going to try to tempt you with delicious looking fruit. That's his play. So what he has proposed today, the demonic counterfeit to biblical unity is... D-E-I, 
Have you heard that phrase? The acronym stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Sounds great. Who wouldn't want diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, the key is you have to understand what is meant by that. What, what is meant by that? Diversity it sounds like a good thing, but when the, when the world talks about diversity, really what it's saying is it's, you're not okay, you don't have health, you don't have a healthy organization uh, unless you have everything represented in a group all the time. You have to have all ethnicities, all sexes, all sexual orientations, they'll say, all genders. You can't, you can't just look at a, a body of Christians in a room like this and say that's diverse unless you have what the world calls good mixed amongst us. And worlds, the world's emphasis on diversity, although it, it, I, this is confusing. This is a little bit advanced. You got to stick with me here, okay? Let's put our thinking caps on for a second. The world's emphasis on diversity is confusing because diversity in and of itself is a good thing. Heaven will be diverse. If you have prejudice in your heart against people who look different than you, you will not like heaven. Because there are going to be all different people there. Shades of the rainbow, colors, tall, short, men, women, right? That's a beautiful thing. That is evidence that the gospel is good news for all people. It spreads across oceans to other continents, across cultures, across normal barriers. The good news is for all people. Heaven will be diverse. But that is, listen, it's an organic, natural byproduct of the gospel it wasn't the point, it was a byproduct of the good news. Heaven will be diverse. We are not, as Christians, supposed to force diversity or manufacture diversity. You know why? Because that ends up resulting in prejudice. It ends up result. We're not smart enough to do that kind of thing. God can create a heaven that is diverse. We can't, we can't make it happen without messing it up. But you'll notice the Bible does tell us to focus on unity. Amen. Diversity versus unity. Ephesians 4, it says, Bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There are many verses like this that just emphasize the importance of unity. So what, what does that mean? We come together as a church family, like at this church, and we got people that kind of represent our, our community around here. You got different cultures people that look different, we all come together. We're supposed to be one. All, all these different groups are supposed to be one. What do we have in common? Jesus. We've all been saved. We've all been forgiven. We're all part of the body of Christ. We celebrate our differences, but we focus on what we have in common. We are united by Christ. Diversity is an organic byproduct of the unity of the gospel that it brings. And then the, the world talks about equity. Who, who doesn't want equity? That sounds good. Fairness. Even Stevens. It sounds like a good thing. But with, what do they mean by that? Equity, the way the world talks about it, it's that everyone has to end up in the same place. Everyone has to have the same outcome. And, and while that sounds good in some ways, it's not biblical. People don't have the same outcome in life for a lot of different reasons, but some of the reasons the Bible describes because some people live their lives wisely and some people live their lives foolishly. So they're not going to end up in the same place. Uh, you think about the parable of the talents that Jesus told the parable of the talents and the master uh, gives these servants different amounts of money to work with based on their ability and then he rewards them based on their performance. That's not socialism, y'all. The emphasis on equity sounds like socialism. It sounds like Marxism, because it is. Jesus doesn't work that way. He's, I'm going to reward you according to your faithfulness. I'm going to equip you according to your ability. And, and it's not, the goal is not equity, but rather the Lord. He gives us equal opportunity to be faithful with what we have. We don't, all, we don't all start in the same place in life. Some people grow up with a mom and a dad. Some people have come from broken homes. You know, that's a disadvantage. But you can be faithful with whatever you have. Some people, they, they are born into a wealthy family, a little trust fund baby, more power to you. Other people, you're born and you're broke. What matters to God? That you're faithful with what you have. 
And you will be a real, you'll be rewarded by the Lord according to how you serve the Lord with what you have. But God gives equal opportunity to everyone. Look at this, Romans 10, 13. It says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, it's right there, equal opportunity. Anyone who wants to call on the name of the Lord, anyone who confesses their sin and believes in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead will be saved. Everyone, it's open to everyone. It's not equity, we're, we're not all going to end up in the same place, but anyone can go to heaven and receive Jesus, right? From the worst sinner, criminal gangster to the stay-at-home mom who's a gossiper, we all need to be saved, right? We all need forgiveness. We all, we are all able to call on the name of the Lord. And then the world talks about inclusion. Who doesn't want inclusion? That sounds like a good thing until you understand what they mean by it. Inclusion, and this one's a little more obvious, when they say inclusion, what the world really means is, listen, affirmation of sin, specifically when it comes to sexual sin. Let's say inclusion means you gotta have all these groups that are sinning sexually according to the Lord and his word, and we should pretend that that's a good thing. Obviously, that's not gonna jive with what the Lord says in his word, but look at this. Understand the difference between inclusion versus God's invitation, Okay, anyone can call on the name of the Lord. The world says we should include everyone in all lifestyles, even the sinful ones, and call them good. The, the Bible says no one's good, but everyone is invited to die to themselves, pick up their cross, and follow Jesus. Inclusion versus invitation. Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you Rest. Look at this. It doesn't matter what sin you struggle with, you're invited to follow Jesus and receive forgiveness and rest. You might think God could never forgive you because of the things that you've done or the things you struggle with. No, no, no. Anyone can call on the name of the Lord and everyone is invited. But hear me on that. That does not mean that God will affirm or accept sin. He never, he cannot it would defy his nature. He is perfectly holy. He can have no sin in his presence. So what does that mean for us who are sin? I'm a sinner. You're, you're a sinner. What, what do we do? We call on the name of the Lord. We, pick, we accept his invitation to die to ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. God will never accept sin. He does not affirm any sin, but Jesus died for every sin. And he receives every repentant sinner. That brings a lot of joy to people who receive this good news, doesn't it? Now, this joy that we're talking about today, it's not just a good emotion that we're after, but this joy results in godly action. We're not just talking about the emotion, but the godly action that comes from that joy. The best thing about being joyful isn't just feeling a certain way, but let's not pretend the feelings don't matter. I'm grateful for those happy feelings. I got that feeling, right? It's like, I'm grateful for those joyful moments. But it's also a great thing that joy causes you to live your life in a certain type of way. Let me pull some truth from the scriptures as they talk about Christmas and that Christmas story. In Luke 2.13, it said, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God. Can you say that? Praising God. And saying, glory to God, in the highest heaven. No, notice it wasn't glory to me, glory to Pastor Ryan, glory to you. It was glory to God, amen, in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So the first thing I want to emphasize is that joy fuels our praise. When you think about coming to church on a Sunday, and consider that we have a significant percentage of the service where there's music playing and people singing, I would say it's really important that you understand what's going on in that moment. It's, if you, maybe, you're a new, maybe you're a new Christian, you're, you're new to church, I totally get it. Not everybody understands the background and the reason behind what we do. You'll, over time, you'll, you'll come to understand it. But that, that music and that singing that's happening, that is not a concert that we're putting on for your entertainment pleasure. It is not a kumbaya sing-along time Amen. like you had around the campfire at Boy Scout camp. It is worship and it's praise for our God in heaven. That's our opportunity to bring glory to God. 
Not glory to the worship team, right? Glory to God, amen? So what does that mean? Okay, I, I want to emphasize a few things here. I have found, let, let me talk about this upcoming weekend. It's going to be Christmas Eve services. Just as a pastor, I'm not venting right now, okay? This is not a counseling session, so I don't need you to make me feel better about this. I'm just going to share some frustrations that I've had. Keeping it real, keeping it 100, as the kids would say. <laughs> I have found historically that at Christmas Eve services, people don't really participate in the singing all that well. What, why is that, do you think? I think there are several reasons. One, uh, those Christmas songs that we tend to sing are different than our normal praise and worship power ballads that we all love so much. Uh, two, they're a little unfamiliar to some people and they're kind of wordy, but you'll notice that we put the words on the screens. So even if you don't have them memorized, you can still sing. And, and then another aspect is sometimes you, you, you lose uh, the impact. You don't quite, sometimes you don't quite grasp the full impact of the meaning of the words that we're singing in that moment. And so you don't, you don't appreciate how big it is and how much of a reason we have to praise. But I'll, I'll encourage you on, in this. Those Christmas songs that we sing have like deep theology and very good news. We're not singing Frosty the Snowman up in here. We're talking about <laughs> the savior of the world who's come to redeem us from sin and make us righteous in God's sight. Okay, so that's part of it. Another aspect is sometimes you have a lot of guests that come to church at Christmas Eve. Um, if you're coming to church this week, the week before Christmas, you're probably a Christian. You're probably a, a good Christian, actually. <laughs> Yeah, you're probably pretty committed because people who are casual about their faith, they're at the mall right now. Now, hey, if you're sick, if you're online, my sister-in-law just had a baby this week. She's online this morning. I totally get it. Some of you are so busy, you barely made it online. But, but you know, hey, on Christmas Eve, we're going to have a lot of creasters. Those are the Christians who only go to church at Christmas and Easter. And that's okay. We, still, we are still glad they're here. It's better to come twice a year than no times per year, right? Maybe they'll get kind of fired up and decide to come more often. So I'm glad they're here, but they come, and they're not really as familiar with what's going on. They don't know the music because they only come twice a year. And then another reason that people don't always participate in the praise and worship is they get confused about who it's for. And they thought it was about them. A lot of people come to church and they think the music is about me. And, and that's why in a lot of churches, people fight so much about the worship music and they'll be like, I don't really like this music. And then they'll sing when it's a song they like. Oh, this is my jam. This is one on K-Love all the time. I know this song. I'll turn it up. I'm going to sing. And then the next song, they're like, oh, I don't know this one. I don't, like, I don't like this song. And so I'm just here to lovingly remind you as a pastor that that time of praise and worship is not about you. It's not. It's not primarily about you. It's about God. It's about bringing glory to God who is good all the time. And we are singing about how he has been good to us, which should cause joy to rise up in us and joy fuels our praise. Do you know that praising God also, not only should we do it because he deserves our praise, but it's good for you. Do you know that physically, biologically, medically speaking, it is scientifically proven that when you sing, uh, when you sing, especially when you sing and combine it with meditating, that means just focusing your thoughts on what is true, the truth of God's word. When you do those things, it produces a chemical reaction in your brain. It releases endorphins. It releases feel-good chemicals. It reduces pain. It results in mood change. This is all documented scientifically proven so joy fuels your praise and then praise fuels your joy you see that here's the next thing I want to emphasize joy fuels our pursuit and you'll see this um, in Luke 2 15 when the angels had returned to heaven the shepherds said to each other let's go to Bethlehem say let's go Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So the angels showed up. Glory to God in the highest. Oh, good news. And then poof, they disappear. They go back to heaven. They're like, we're out of here. We're going back to heaven. Poof, they disappear. What do the shepherds do? They did not sit 
and reflect. They didn't build a monument there. They said, let's go. We got to go. We got to go see this thing. Joy fuels our pursuit. There's a big difference between passively believing in Jesus versus actively pursuing Jesus. Okay? Now, there are some people, they come to church and they have a passive they have a passive relationship with Jesus. And what do I mean by that? Uh, maybe they come to church and they'll sit themselves down in the seat and they'll just, okay, I'm gonna give this pastor guy a chance to inspire me right now. <laughs> You're up, guy. Do your best. Give me your best shot. It's your opportunity to entertain me. Maybe I'll learn something. If I don't, it's your fault. It's like a passive approach, right? And you know what? Honestly, again, I'm glad that you're here versus not, even if you have a passive relationship with you. But think about how much further you'll get if you actively decide to pursue Jesus. Okay, like, I'm actually going to open up my own Bible and read it with my own eyes and dig into the truth and discover what I need to know in order to live for the Lord. That's active, right? Versus just relying on someone else to force feed you. It's okay to have someone uh, hold the spoon up to your mouth and put it in your mouth when you're a baby. But when you become an adult, you should be hopefully feeding yourself by then, right? Same thing spiritually. It's normal when you first get saved that, you know, everybody cuts up your bites for you and then the airplane comes in. But by the time you've been a Christian for a little while, you should be feeding yourself. So for example, like I get asked a lot of questions um, online in emails and stuff, and that's totally okay, that's normal. And I, I appreciate people who want to know, like, hey, pastor, should I do this? Or what do you think about this? But I do get concerned sometimes when people ask me questions that they should know the answer to by now. Like if I went to the doctor and I said, doctor, um, question. I really like ice cream, so is it okay if I eat ice cream after breakfast and after lunch and after dinner? That, doc that doctor would say, well, uh, one, I can tell you really like ice cream. Uh, <laughs> but he would say, uh, I'm glad you asked. The answer is no. No, it's not okay. It's okay to have a little ice cream in moderation, but you should not have it after every meal every day. And he would probably say, I feel like by now, as a 39-year-old adult, you should probably have known that. And you might say, well, that's mean. Well, it's also true. It's true, right? There are some things, like, if we were actively pursuing the truth of God's word, you know, I think a lot of us would be a little further along by now. And, and you know what? You can be saved, and you could be going to heaven when you die, but that's not going to get you as far in this life as if you actually take it upon yourself to actively pursue Jesus. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29... It says, God says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What does that tell you? When you read this, it tells you that it's also possible to seek God without it being with all your heart. It's possible to be a Christian and going to heaven, but not seeking God with all your heart. Otherwise, he wouldn't have added the qualifier. Are you pursuing, I have, to, I have to ask you this, are you pursuing the Messiah with the drive he deserves? Let's go. Is this too challenging, this too this close to Christmas? I don't know. Are you, are you actively seeking after the truth that's found in God's word? Or are you going through life and unnecessarily struggling because you haven't taken it upon yourself to read the wisdom that is found in this book? I wish someone would have told me. I wish you would have read it. Imagine now if you chase after the Lord, how far you'll get, how much you'll accomplish with your life. That's what we want. And then here's the next thing. Luke chapter two, we see this. The shepherds, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. I want to emphasize, they told 
everyone. They told everyone. They would have had a lot of reason to keep it to themselves. They could have been embarrassed. No one's going to believe us. We're just shepherds. We're blue collar workers. We're dirty. I got sheep smell on me. No one's going to believe me when I tell them angels appear to me with the good news. We're just lowly shepherds. We're not rich. We're not dignitaries. Why would angels come to us? They're not going to believe me. They're going to laugh at me. And then when I tell them I found the king of kings and he was in a barn in a manger that doesn't make any sense they're not going to believe that either i better keep this to myself lest people think i'm crazy but no they told everyone and that's what that's what i want to emphasize next joy fuels our witness joy fuels our witness there's something about sharing goodness that just comes natural when you see a good movie you tell your friends, I saw this movie, it was great. When you find a good show, you tell your friends. When you go to a good restaurant, you tell your friends and family, you guys gotta go there, you gotta eat there, the food is so good. When you find a good church, right, you tell everybody, you gotta go to Generation Church. It's so, it's so good. You can't help it. So just this last week, like I mentioned, me and Amy, we were in Philadelphia, and my friend Joey, he took me to this place called Angelo's. And I don't know, you can all debate who makes the best cheesesteak and the best pizza out on the East Coast, but Angelo's was amazing. They made, I mean, this thing is cash only, no seating, line out the door. It wasn't even a tourist trap, it's just that good. They make their own bread, a dough, so they use that dough in the pizza, they use that dough to make rolls for the cheesesteaks, and they just sell each day till it sells out, and it sells out every day. I had a spiritual experience eating this cheesesteak. I saw the face of God. It was one of the best things I, I think I eaten all year. It was so good. Joey was like, you gotta try Angelo's. You're gonna love Angelo's. I can't wait to take you to Angelo's. Why? Because he knew how good it was. He wasn't worried about if I was gonna like it or how much it was gonna cost. Or, you know, he just knows it's so good, you're gonna love it. He didn't hesitate to share it because he knew how good it was. He loved the food and he loved me, so it was natural for him to share the good food with the people he loves. It's the same with Jesus. You don't have to know how to make a cheesesteak to share a really good cheesesteak. You just have to know it's good. And you don't have to know the answer to every question that someone's going to raise about the Bible. You don't have to be able to explain all the miraculous things that God has done. You don't have to know how to overcome every objection someone could raise in order to share Jesus. You just have to know Jesus. You just have to know how good Jesus is and love the people who need Jesus enough to share Jesus with the people who need him. It's natural to share goodness with people you love. The joy of the Lord fuels your witness. It's too good to keep him to yourself. He's too good, right? And so here's the question, why do more Christians not share Jesus? Oh, this is way too much challenge, this is close to Christmas. Pastor Ryan, this is not what I signed up for today. Well, okay, I'm just gonna tell you anyway. <laughs> we don't share Jesus the way that we should because we don't always pursue him the way that we should, and we don't fully realize how good he is, and so we don't have the joy fueling our witness the way we should. A lot of times people don't, a lot of times there are people who are Christians, who are, who are going to heaven, who don't fully appreciate how good Jesus is. And that's one of the reasons they don't feel the need to share. Because if you really understood, this is the best news for all people, I've got to share. You would know, I've got to share it. It's too good to keep to myself. Honestly, once you experience how good Jesus is, that fuels your witness in a way that it overcomes uncertainty. It overcomes shyness. Some of you might be naturally shy, and maybe you're like, God made me this way. I'm not, I'm not outgoing. I'm shy. But the joy of the Lord overcomes shyness. It's too good to keep the good news to yourself. You've got to share it. Amen? Amen? For most people you come across, you're their best shot to hear the good news and experience the joy of knowing Jesus. You're their best shot. So are you going to tell them? Here's the next thing. Matthew 2, 7. Jumping to the wise men. We were talking about shepherds. Now we're talking about 
wise men. It says, then Herod, he's the king, called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Remember, they followed the star to Bethlehem. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. I'll come back to that. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And what do they do? They bowed down and worshiped him. We already covered that. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, not Frankenstein, frankincense, and myrrh. These wise men, sometimes called magi, they were educated men. They were astronomers, probably. Some theologians think that these men came from the region of Babylon and that they had possibly heard the scriptures and prophecies passed down over the hundreds of years since Daniel had been taken into Babylon as an exile. That's a commonly held theory. But either way, these guys knew about the sign prophesied of the star that would lead them to where the Messiah was. And you'll notice that they came to find the king and they didn't come empty-handed, did they? They came with a gift. They came with, honestly, these gifts were expensive. And here's the next thing I wanna emphasize, joy fuels our generosity. It fuels our generosity. We love to give gifts at Christmas time, don't we? I love giving gifts to kids, especially, and seeing their joy to receive those gifts. Uh, And that brings me joy as a dad. Um, I think for most people, as you grow into adulthood, that becomes the main excitement of gift giving at Christmas is seeing little kids and grandkids experiencing the joy of receiving uh, more even than giving. It's just fun to watch them experience that. But I want to encourage you to carry that spirit of generosity into every part of your life. We want to be a generous people, right? First, be generous with your words. Loving, kind, encouraging words cost you nothing to speak. Think about that. Why are we so stingy so often with words of love and encouragement? I told you I I loved you when I married you, and I'll let you know if I change my mind. It's like, bro, are you bankrupt? No, you can tell her every day, right? You can tell your kids they're special and that you love them and that they're gifted every day. You can tell your family how you appreciate them every day. You can tell your neighbors what good you see in them all the time. Your friends at church, I see gifting of God in you. I see future for you that's gonna be full of purpose. You can encourage people with your words and it costs you nothing other than breath. So we should be generous with our words, because listen, it costs you nothing to speak those words, but they can mean everything to the recipient, right? How many of you can remember, man, there was a time in my life years ago, decades maybe even ago, when someone said something encouraging to me and that changed the course of my life, right? Because a lot of times all we remember is the words of discouragement that we heard, maybe even from a, a family member or a coach or a boss, and that can hang with someone for their whole life and, and it can affect them negatively. So why would we as Christians not speak life and love and encouragement to people when it doesn't even cost us anything, but it means everything to the people who hear it? You can be generous with your time. Time is a greater sacrifice to give people because you can't make more of it and you can't get more of it. You can't buy more of it, but we can be generous with the time we give to people. You notice how often in the scriptures you read that Jesus was interrupted by someone unexpectedly and he stopped and made time for that person. Someone who might've been poor or outcast, Jesus made time in the midst of the most important mission in the history of the universe. His mission to rescue humanity was allowed to be interrupted by unexpected, uh, lowly people who needed a moment with the Son of God. If Jesus would allow himself to be interrupted by people who had nothing to offer, no credentials, no esteem, how much more should we be willing to make time for people who need a moment with us? 
right? I can stop what I'm doing, I can put my phone down, and I can give you my attention. I can listen to you as you share a burden, right? And we don't wanna look at those moments as interruptions or inconveniences as much as opportunities to bless someone with a touch from the Lord who's working through us, amen? You can be generous with your mercy. Should I keep going? This is about to get hard. Mercy, mercy is forgiving people who don't deserve it. Mercy is giving forgiveness to someone who does deserve to pay a penalty. And I, there's something about Christmas time, oh, I think because of the nostalgia and you think about family and your mind tends to go to the past, people struggle with unforgiveness and offense more right now than I think at certain other times of the year. Maybe you're thinking about your past and the family members who didn't love you the way they should or people who forsook you, right? Like people who hurt you. And maybe you're holding on to that. And I wanna encourage you and challenge you with this. But remember what Jesus said? If you refuse to forgive others, then God will refuse to forgive you. So there's that. Like, if that's all there was, check, I'm going to be forgiving me some people. Hopefully all the time, right? I don't want to hold on to a grudge and not receive the forgiveness that I need from the Lord, right? But, but, but more so, how are we going to be forgiven people and then turn around and refuse to forgive other people? Well, they hurt me, you, you might say. They hurt me in a really bad way. I get that. I get that. I'm not trying to take away from that. But listen, nobody has sinned against you worse than you've sinned against God. You will never forgive anyone for as much as God has already forgiven you. And you can be a, a, a real, uh, you can give a great gift in the gift of forgiveness, the gift of mercy. There are people who may be carrying around guilt and shame for some way that they hurt you, and if you were to pick up a phone, text them, call them, and just say, hey, I wanna let you know, I forgive you. I just, I forgive you. I don't, and that's it. I don't gotta get any more jabs in, because you know what you did. <laughs> like, you know those people, they try to say, like, you know, I forgive you, but first they just beat you up for like five minutes. You did this, and you did this, and you did this, and you're like a terrible person, but I forgive you. It's like, that's not how you want to do it, right? You want to give the gift of mercy freely. I forgive you. The past is the past. I love you. That doesn't mean you have to be best friends. That doesn't mean you have to go into business with that person. doesn't mean you have to let them babysit your kids, but you can forgive them. you like, I can't forgive them. It's too big. I can, I can never forgive. Yes, you can. You can forgive anyone. Why? Because the spirit of God empowers forgiveness. All you have to do is be willing to forgive. You don't have to accomplish that in your own strength. You just, say, you just say this, God, I want to forgive, but I don't think I can. I need your help. I need you to do a forgiving work through me, and then watch what he does. God loves forgiveness. Mercy is a defining aspect of his character. So when his people are willing to be merciful, he will empower that every time. He will help you to see that through to completion. You just say, God, I want to be a person who forgives, not only because I want to be forgiven, because, but because I want to give them the gift of forgiveness, and I want to give myself the gift of forgiveness. I don't want to carry around these chains, right? And then you can be generous with your money. You're like, oh, I knew he was going to go there. Yes, I was. <laughs> The wise men gave gold. Let's talk about the gold. Let's talk about the gold. The wise men brought gifts to Jesus. Why? Because they were filled with joy over his arrival. Nobody made them give. It wasn't a tax. <laughs> Imagine, right? I could talk all day about that. It wasn't a tax. <laughs> they wanted to give a gift to their king because they were thrilled with his arrival. You know, we, we uh, church, churches like this, we are completely funded by a whole bunch of generous people. Not rich people, I didn't say rich, a lot of normal people who are very rich in generosity. People of all income levels who give because they love Jesus. Now, I'm not gonna get into all this right now, but we talked in the past about tithing. That's something I think all Christians should do. That's where you put God first with the first 10% of your increase of your income. And really the Bible uses language like return to me the tithe, bring the tithe. It never says we give the tithe because you can't give something that doesn't belong to you in the first place. You're returning it to the one who it already belongs to. But then there's another type of 
giving in scripture, that's giving offerings. Biblically, offerings. Offerings are gifts you give just because you want to. Whereas tithing is like, man, I should do this because it belongs to you, God, and I don't want to rob from you. Giving offerings is like, man, I just want to give this freely. In the Old Testament, they would call it free will offerings. And even today, it's really what it is. It's you're just freely, you love God, you're thankful for his blessing, and whether it's a big amount or a small amount, what matters most to God is not how much, but how cheerfully you give it. It says this in 2 Corinthians 9, God loves a cheerful giver. Notice there's nothing there about how much you give. It's just really about your attitude. Now look, that's not an excuse not to be generous just because you have a bad attitude. (laughs) Well, I'm not cheerful, so I'm not giving. (laughs) But really what it's emphasizing is God loves when we just give joyfully. When When we, like, I don't have to. No one's forcing me to. I just want to because I love Jesus. Right, so I want to encourage you in, in this. The wise men, remember they brought gifts to Jesus at the birth of Jesus. It's kind of weird that Christmas is the one birthday where we give gifts to everyone else but the birthday boy. Yeah. That's a little weird, isn't it? <laughs> Happy birthday, Jesus. No gifts for you. We as Christians, we do good at giving gifts to other people, but maybe we should also stop and we should pray and we should ask, God, how do you want me to be generous to you as I celebrate the birth of Christ this Christmas. And that's really true. We can all do that um, regardless of where we're at income-wise, but really, if we're listening to the Lord and we're being obedient, he loves when we give generously and cheerfully. Amen? Amen. Matthew 2 says this, this, is the last point. When it was time to leave, these wise men, they returned to their own country by another route. You can say root, route, you know. It's one of those words, different pronunciations. Why? Because God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Remember that passage I read a second ago where King Herod said to the wise men, once you find him, come and tell me where he is so I can go and worship him too. <laughs> like, because he was a really a bad guy, right? That's why I'm doing that. He had bad motives. He did not want to go and worship King Jesus. He wanted to kill King Jesus. Herod's attitude was there's only room for one king up in this town and it's not you. He was going to kill Jesus, and so the wise men, instead of listening to the king, King Herod, they ignored him, and they listened to God instead. That takes courage. Amen? Some of my church family, you would have said it takes cojones. Where, where you get courage to do what's right when it's easier to do what's wrong? Where do you get that kind of Courage. Well, I think it comes from joy. Joy fuels our strength. This is the last point for today. Joy fuels our strength. It can be scary to go against the grain and do what's right. And oftentimes it is easier to do what's wrong. It can be hard to be the only person who lives for Jesus in a family that defies God and mocks the truth of God's word. It can be hard to go to work out in this world and live for Christ and and conduct yourself in an honorable way when everybody else is celebrating sin? How do you do it? It can be hard to keep going and even to keep living when you've gone through incredible loss. Some people, they take their own lives because they've been burdened by such loss. They think, I can't keep going anymore. I can't live with this pain or this loss. So it'd be, my only option is to just end my life. How do you keep pushing forward when you go through that kind of hardship? Joy. Joy fuels our strength. Maybe for you, Christmas is your favorite season of the year. Maybe you're just having like a total blasty blast right now. You're just decorating, you're wrapping presents, you got music on, you're loving it. And some of you, you, you have a real hard time around Christmas. And maybe because of loss or family or whatever, you know what it is. Maybe you're struggling just to keep pushing forward right now. I want to encourage you in this. You're not the first person to struggle around Christmas time. Is it good, is it good to be reminded of that? Yes, the answer is yes. It's good to be reminded of that. It's helpful to know you're not the first. You're not the first person to struggle. Think about Mary, Jesus' mother. Mary, everything about Christmas was hard for Mary. She got pregnant in a very socially awkward way. <laughs> Who's the father? God. 
Okay. I mean, imagine. She had to give birth in a barn. I mean, I know some of you got bad health care plans, but we don't have a lot of barn babies up in here. She's got you next to a donkey, you know? Like, I mean, that's crazy. She had a king, local, you know, King Herod, trying to kill her baby. And I mean, I've talked to, I've joked in the past about how a lot of moms today, they think everything's going to kill their baby, but this lady actually had someone trying to actually kill her baby. That's a bad Christmas, if you ask me. Then she had to flee to a foreign land. She had to flee to Egypt with Joseph and Jesus to avoid this murderous, tyrannical king who wanted to kill her baby. That's not the way, that's not the recipe for a great holiday. Like, pack your bags, we gotta flee to Egypt because the local authorities wanna kill our baby. Everything about Christmas was hard for Mary. And then you think about, on top of all of that, if she knew any of the Old Testament scriptures, which we should assume that she did to at least some extent, she knew that the scriptures prophesied that her son would grow up and die in a brutal way to pay the price for the sins of the world. Imagine carrying that as a mom. So how, how would she push through that? I think joy fueled her strength. When Mary learned that she was pregnant with the Savior of the world, she was filled with so much joy that at one point she just prophetically bursts out with songs of praise. In Luke 1, it records this. Mary responded, this is with a song, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. I mean, her her song of prophecy that came out of her, this song of praise that flowed from her joy, the words that she spoke are still true for you today. How God has blessed you. Think of how God has done great things for you. Think about how God has shown you mercy and favor despite the fact we have nothing to offer him, yet he pours blessing out upon us and his mercy changes family trees from generation to generation. People will look at us and say how blessed you were to know the Lord. You have reason to praise God. The joy of the Lord is our strength and you have the ability to keep going forward doing what God has called you to do regardless of what you face along the way. Do you believe that? I'm gonna invite you to stand with me at this point as we get ready to close this service. And what I wanna do is just wherever you're at, I wanna invite you to do this if you're a Christian if you're not a Christian, you know, you don't have to do this. I mean, if you're not comfortable with it, you don't have to do it. But just close your eyes for a moment and just raise your hands up at your side like you're holding something, like you're getting ready to receive a gift, like you're getting ready to give a gift. Just you have your hands held up if you want to participate in this moment. And I, I want you just to, to do this. I don't normally do something like this, but I want you just to, to visualize as you hold your hands out for a moment. Just imagine that in your hands, you're holding the sum of all of your frustrations right now and your problems and the worries of this life, the things that you're stressed about, like prodigal child, the diagnosis, a sickness, pain, a lack of wealth, confusion, all, all these different types of problems, depression, loneliness, sadness, right? Whatever it is, just imagine you're holding that right now. And I think about how Jesus says this, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me with your burdens. Give me your burdens and I will give you rest. So think about this. We talked about giving Jesus gifts at Christmas time, but he doesn't just ask us to give him gifts. He also invites us to give him our burdens. So what if you just did that right now? What if you just right now, spiritually in your heart said, Jesus, I'm giving my struggles to you. I'm giving my disappointments to you. I'm giving my hurt to you. I'm laying these things before you. I'm laying them at your feet. I'm trusting you with all my problems. Notice what he said, give me your burdens and I will give you rest. So think about this, right? You have have problems and you're just visualizing them in your hand, right? You give that to Jesus and then in, in return, what does he do? He gives you 
rest. He gives you peace. He gives you hope. He gives you the joy of the Lord that fuels your strength to keep going, to keep following him, to keep living for him, to keep telling people about him. Will you just let the joy of the Lord fill your heart today? Just let God's peace reign over your heart and your mind. I pray that confusion and sadness, loneliness and depression and hurt, I pray that all those things will be removed from you by the Holy Spirit right now. And that in their place, he would fill you up with the joy of God, knowing that Jesus has come to save you of your sins, to forgive you in God's sight and make you righteous, that Jesus gives you eternal life and the hope of heaven, so that no matter what you face in this life, you know that in the end, you're victorious through Jesus, and you have nothing to fear knowing that God is always with you. He will never leave you or forsake you, and his love for you is not contingent on what you do. It's based on who you are. You're his child, and so his love for you never fades. He can't love you more than he already does, and he can't love you less than he does right now. His love is perfect, and it casts out all fear. Just receive the rest that Jesus gives today. God, I pray for your people. I pray that you would cover them with your hand. I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would fill them up with your love and joy and peace and hope right now, Lord. I pray that they would feel the strength of God rising up in them to empower them to do what you have called them to do. I'm praying that we would be good news people filled with the joy of the Lord, that we would give forgiveness freely to the people who have hurt us, that we would give you the praise and the glory that you deserve. I'm praying that we would be a generous people who give to others the way that you have given to us. And Lord, I'm praying that strength, the strength of God would enable us to obey your word and do what you have called us to do. I pray for every family represented in this church, the children, the old, the young, uh, the men, the women, Lord. I'm praying that you would be with them today and bless them. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. We thank you for your good gifts. And God's people said amen. Amen. Will we give God praise together today?